Hello, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for joining us to worship here today. My name is John Keeler. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Grace, and I have a chance to continue us in our series on Daniel. And if anyone's like, like me when I was growing up reading the stories of Daniel, it was inspiring. There were a lot of great, courageous stories about Daniel and his friends. Um, most of you will probably know this next chapter. We're moving on to chapter 3, and it's uh, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the Fiery Furnace. But what I want us to make sure we don't do is a lot of times we, we, we start to see some of these old stories as just that. They're just stories. And I want to assure you that by the end of this message, I think you're going to see that this is not that Bible, uh, that, that Bible school kind of story about three guys with weird names, a crazy king, and a fiery furnace. But this is a real challenge. It's a challenge for each of us, and you'll see in just a minute. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the way you've revealed yourself throughout all of history. Through the Bible, we can see how you've shown up in difficult circumstances, how you've demonstrated your sovereignty over the world. We just thank you so much for a scripture that we can apply even today. We can take these stories about three brave young men and can apply that today in our lives and what we face every day. We just ask that you'll open up our hearts and our minds, that the Holy Spirit will work within us to reveal what it is you want us to do with this message, Lord. Just pray that in your name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start uh, this sermon a little differently. I'm actually going to give you the main point right up front, okay? The main point I want you to take away is that fear stands in the way of your faith, okay? But when you stand in faith, God stands with you. So just think about that. When we face trials, we face difficult situations, circumstances, decisions, it's fear, more than likely, that is standing in the way of you standing firm in your convictions. Think through it, right? You got fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of missing out, fear of not having enough, fear of looking weird. But each and every time, when we focus on the fear, it prevents us from what God wants us to do. So unless you're perfect, and I don't think we have anyone in here like that, each one of us has at least one thing you know God is calling you to do, but you're afraid, and fear stands in the way of you doing that. So with a blank outline and a pen, hopefully, or for those that like their devices. I just want you to work through something with me here. I'm going to ask you three questions, and I want you to think of the answer and write it down or commit it to memory. Okay. What is the one thing that God wants you to do that fear is preventing you from doing? 
Okay. Hope everybody has an answer. I didn't see a lot of writing, so everybody in here has a really good memory. So for those that wrote this down, put a question mark next to it. And let's keep going here. Okay. What is the one thing that God is calling you to do that fear is preventing you from doing? Think about that one. All right, if you wrote something down, put a, a little star next to it. Let me ask you just one other question here. What is the one thing that God's calling you to do that your fear is preventing you from doing? No, I'm not going crazy. I did ask the same question three times. I do this to my children because our tendency is the first answer is the surface level. We just want to give the easy answer. How was your day? It was good. It was good. How was your day? Well, it was okay. How was your day? Mm, not so good. <laughs> so think about your answers because what we really find is that we have a tendency to also think that these things, these challenges, these callings from God are huge, difficult tasks. But that's fear, right? That's fear trying to prevent you from doing it. In reality, I would most likely think that not anyone here wrote something down that was life or death. I don't think. We'll find out in this story that even if it was, our God is bigger, okay? Now, before I get into the text of Daniel 3, I want you to know that there's no mistake why we're jumping right to Daniel 3 from 1 last week. Chapter 2 is going to be covered later in more of the prophetic sections of this, of this uh, series. But in chapter 3... We're going to get into the character of three men. And the only thing you need to take away from chapter 2 is that the background is that Daniel was given the miraculous ability to interpret the king's dream. Basically, King Nebuchadnezzar had this crazy, scary dream, and Daniel was able to miraculously interpret it. God gave him that power. And for this, he gets promoted to one of the highest positions in the land. And like a good friend, he puts in a good word for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they also get promoted to high positions in the land. So fast forward, essentially 15 to 20 years from that happening, and you have verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the province gathered 
for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So we see right out of the gate that this king decides to put on a display. He creates this huge statue, about 90 feet tall, enormous, completely overlaid in gold. And the reason is he was uh, getting a little bored with his success. He was extremely successful. His kingdom had continued to grow, and it wasn't just good enough to be the ruler of the known world. He wanted to start to uh, deify himself. So he assembles these people. He sets up this statue, requires the worship of it, or there's punishment by death in a furnace, because he wants to set himself up as head of state and head of religion, something that we'll see the Antichrist will do one day as we study our Revelation series. Uh, Historians estimate that there were roughly 300,000 people in attendance, huge crowds of people. All the officials, all the important people, everybody was there, and our friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there as well. They were set up as officials in the kingdom. So the music starts, there's a party, everybody's invited, everybody bows. Let's see what happens next. Verse 8, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So picture the scene here. This giant golden image, everyone's there, thousands upon thousands. And I can only imagine out of fear of death, that they were face down as close as they could get to the ground, worshiping this image. And you look across the crowd, and there's three guys, just three guys, three people standing in the whole crowd. Well, we see that in chapter 1, these gentlemen faced the convictions of not eating the king's meat and drinking their choice wine. They risked their careers in Babylon. They were teenagers, but they had the courage. They tested their convictions there, and God came through. 
Now we fast forward, they're in their 30s, and they're now about to face life or death. You see, the other piece of this story is what we see all the time. Three guys standing up for what they know is right, and a bunch of jealous haters running off trying to make their lives miserable, trying to get them in trouble, trying to exaggerate the situation, take out the do-gooders. Don't be surprised when you stand up for what you believe that there will be people that hate you for it. You will face challenges. They were jealous. They ran off to the king and even threw in a piece around the fact that they pay no attention to you, king. They wanted to get them in some trouble. Let's see what happens. So 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the music, sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have set up and made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who can deliver you from my hands? Now, this man, this king, was enraged. He he couldn't believe that anyone would challenge his supreme authority, let alone a few foreigners, these Jews, right? That they would defy his sovereign orders. But just to give them a chance, he condescendingly asks them, is this really true? It's kind of like asking hey, did you guys just space out on this whole ceremony? Uh, (laughs) Just fall down and worship now, and, and then we'll forget the whole thing happened. But remember, here, here at the end, he also reiterates his threat, right? He, he makes sure they know the punishment is by fire, and surely no God could deliver them, right? Out of all the gods they worshiped. Now, you see, the pressure just got hotter for these guys. And how many times has that happened to you? You know, it's one thing to stand out in a crowd and maybe even another thing to face a boss. But what about in situations where you continue to have your convictions tested? Things get worse before they get better. They get harder. And you start to wonder, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? So, let's read on, chapter 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image 
that you have set up. This took a lot of courage, right? They're face to face with an angry king. The ruler of the known universe had complete authority and control over them. And they calmly, courageously, and respectfully answered. They knew there was no excuse. They stood for their beliefs. They didn't defend what they did. They were guilty. And there was nothing else they could say. You see, their answer, their conviction and courage shows us two things. One, you can see the great faith they had in their God. They were students of Scripture. They knew that God can and will and is able to deliver. They've seen it. They knew it. They also knew their God's heart, and they also trusted in His will and not their own. They were willing to submit to Him. Whether they were delivered or not, it didn't matter to them. They would not bow You see, some have the courage to stand before men and some to stand before kings, but how many of us have the courage to say, not my will, but yours, Lord? I know for these situations, and I I can tell you reading through Daniel 3 and studying it, there's so many great stories of, of Christian heroes that stood the test of time, that they risked their lives For Jesus. And we all think there's no way I could do that. It seems impossible. You read the stories of persecuted churches across the the world. And one thing, though, that I'm continually reminded, and the scripture shows us, is that God always gives us the supernatural strength that we need to face any trial that comes our way. I always think that when we look at spirit-led convictions, when the spirit is leading you, you also get the power of the spirit to complete the task. The, the spirit empowers you for that task. And then the other assurance we have is in 1 Corinthians 10:13 that we're never tested beyond what we can endure. Verse says, "No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man." God is faithful, and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The important thing is we need to have faith like these men and consider that even if, even if it's not his will to deliver us, we will not bow. A lot of times for me, the hard thing is doing God's will when it's not pleasing to me, right? When it's not what I desire or what I think it should be. I was talking to a few friends this week, and I find, unfortunately, more often than not, that my heart's desire really ends up being wrapped in the ugliest of packages. And I always wondered, why does God do that? It's because he wants you to have faith. He wants you to trust him that he's good and receive the gifts he gives us, even if it doesn't look like a gift. 
And, um, you know, in this story, it, it's easy to wonder how we would react to this situation. Would we rationalize away our convictions like so many Christians do often? Could these men have said, well, Lord, we're in important positions. If, if we don't bow and we lose our lives, we won't have an impact on this kingdom, and you need people like us there. So we'll just, we'll just quickly bow. And, or um, maybe I'll just bow physically, but my mind, I'm going to still be praising you, God, so I'm not going to be breaking any commandments. There's no problem with that. Just, and I think of how many times we do that at work, in our neighborhood, in our lives, if I just go along with what they're doing, if I don't stand out, maybe you can use me in other ways. You know, I don't want to get in trouble with HR. I don't want to lose my job. And we compromise, we compromise, we rationalize. But as we see in Job 23, 10 through 11, he's really calling us to stand firm. The verse says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his ways and have not turned aside. Let's keep reading. Daniel 19 says, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually heated. And he ordered some of his mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace." Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So this king was furious. He'd had enough. No more games. He commands the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. Seven times hotter. How they knew it was exactly seven times hotter, I have no idea. But it was hot, and we know that this king was furious. I I, I always think of this part of the story, I don't know, he must be thinking irrationally because if it was just the regular temperature fire, don't you think that would kind of burn a little slower, be a little bit more painful, but he's so furious, stoked the fire. Now, to just set the picture in your mind, this, this furnace is really a giant lime kiln, and at the top would have been a large opening and an incline leading up to that opening where people could come up and, and throw things and apparently people into the opening, and then it would be bell-shaped at the bottom with a, with a large opening where they'd stoke the fire with the fuel, the wood, the hay, they'd get it hot. And I, I imagine in, in my mind's eye as I'm reading this story, this, this king is so furious, he wants to see them punished, that he would be sitting right across from that opening just wanting to see these guys burn as they go in. So 
what happens next? Well, let's see what happens. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to him, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Wow, this was amazing to all, that, all the people in the crowd. I mean, there were thousands of people watching. They see three men dropped into the top of the fire. The fire is so hot, it burned the soldiers throwing them in. And somehow, at the bottom, they're looking through this opening, and there's three men. No, wait a minute. Four. Four men, completely unbound, completely unharmed, walking in the midst of the fire. And when the king says the fourth looked like the son of the gods, they're, in their religion, really, he's, he's, he believes that his gods had sons and that so these people, you know, this, this fourth person was some divine or supernatural person. Where did he come from? Who was he? We know that this was the pre-incarnate Christ. And we see from other places in Scripture, these Christophanies or these appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ, before he was a little baby in a manger, he was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was walking with Enoch. He feasted with Abraham. He wrestled with Jacob He spoke to Moses in the burning bush. He appeared to Joshua as the captain of the host, the Lord's host, right? And he spent a night with Daniel in the lion's den, which we'll see in a couple weeks. This was our God manifest in the flesh. And what's a comfort to me is that when his children are in the fire, he is there with them to protect them. I, I find, and, and, and I just want you to recall any of these situations to your memory, I find that when I'm in the toughest fires, the biggest challenges of my life, the times when I don't know where the end is and what the purpose is, those are the times that after I look back and realize how close I was to my Savior. How close He was to me. Speaking into my life, being real to me. And it's almost like the further you get from some of these challenges, you start to forget again, don't you? Whether it's illness, loss of a job, lost of a loved one. It's always the same. Our Savior is with us in the fire. And it's always the same that in this situation as well, He did the same thing. He takes care of our enemies, right? The men that were throwing Him into the fire burned. 
Also, he takes care of our, our bondage, or a boundage. The things that bind us, the things that hold us slavery. He, when we come out of the fire, just like these men, our bindings are the only things that are burned off. And I like 1 Peter 1.7. It says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So after such an astonishing turn of events, let's see what happens at the end. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and the smell of fire had not come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Well, we we see an amazing end of this story. He calls them out of the fire. Everyone's astonished. And what really strikes me is the fact that they didn't even smell like smoke. Can you imagine that this king, how close he was to to the fire, probably wanted to see them burn He probably reeked like smoke, but they were unharmed, completely unharmed. Now, it's stories like this of conviction and faith and courage that we really love to to read and be inspired by. Think of some of the short-term impacts of, of, of their actions. One, we see that the God of these three men gets all the praise. The king finally gets an answer to that sarcastic question he asks. And who is the God who can deliver you from my hands? Oh, it's the Most High God, and he knows it. The other thing is, these three men get commended by the king, the ruler of the known world, and they get a nice promotion out of just standing firm in their beliefs. But think of the larger impact this had. This is what really struck me when we think of the king's proclamation. He makes a threat. Anyone that speaks anything against this God, the God of these three men, shall be torn limb from limb. What he was doing there is essentially establishing religious freedom for every Jew in the entire province of Babylon. And you see this theme over and over again in Scripture. You've got Israel being punished in exile, and yet 
God faithfully keeps a remnant of his people safe through the most miraculous circumstances. And then let's not forget the impact that these three men have on the lives of everyone that's studied this passage since then. You know, I think if these three men were burned for their faith, we probably still would have heard about them and been just as impressed. But, but, had they bowed like everyone else, gone along with the crowd, I have a feeling that the book of Daniel probably would have only had 11 chapters instead of 12. Because, you see, to have this kind of faith, I know that this is the faith, the courage, conviction that each one of you would love to have. You want a legacy like this when you die, right? But the challenge is you actually have to stand out. These guys knew that they were in a foreign land. They expected this type of challenge and persecution. But the challenge for us is that we forget that we're in a foreign land. We're not home yet. And we have to expect these type of challenges. And don't think for a second that they did all this for a promotion. No, I I think each one of us, sometimes we set our goals a little too low. These guys were looking toward the eternal reward, the good and faithful servant commendation that they got when they saw their Lord. Now, each one of us, we will face our own modern-day furnace. Maybe you're in there right now. And if you're you're not or if you haven't just gone through it, you will be soon. And And the question really is, you know, even though it's not nearly as dramatic maybe as a life or death situation, Is there a fear that's going to prevent you from exercising the faith that you need to have? Think back from the beginning. Let's think back at some of these situations. I don't know. For some of you, it might be, you know, standing up for what you know is right at work, doing the right thing, sharing the gospel with someone. For some of us, it might be leaving the job we have for a different job because God's calling us to be the husband, the father, the disciple of Jesus that he wants us to be and our job's getting in the way. For some moms, it might be staying home with your children and giving up your career. Other moms, it might be going back to work and helping to contribute to the family's bottom line. I don't know what it is. Some of us, we might have destructive habits that we know we need to give up things that are getting in the way. For one friend of mine this week, he, he just retold a story that just struck me differently this time. He was telling me about this long custody battle that he's been facing uh, against his wife for his daughter. He was telling the story again, and, and he just explained to me, he said, I just knew that for the good of my daughter that God was convicting me that I had to go through what apparently was two years of hell on earth, countless dollars and emotional distraught feelings, questions, 
But what really struck me is at the end, he explained, he, he, he looked me in the eye and he goes, you know, I, I, just, I just knew that I could never look my daughter in the eyes if I didn't make sure I did everything I possibly could for her. You see, this is the situation that we're facing every day. This is what it means when we say, I count it joy come every battle because I know that's where you'll be. That's where Jesus shows up big. That's where he shows us that he's faithful. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are near to us, that you're with us in the fire, that it's situations like that, the testing of our faith, the testing of our trust in you, that, that you show up, that you're more real to us than we ever know. We just ask for the faith, the courage to take that step forward, Lord, in, in, in faith, trusting you that you'll be there with us through it all. Just pray this in your name. Amen. As we close, I just I have to share this story with you that I came across speaks exactly on what we were talking about. There's a man named Stuttered Kennedy who was a chaplain during World War II. He was often in the front lines, in the face of danger, risking his life to share Jesus and minister to people during World War II. When he was going through France, he wrote this letter to his 10-year-old son, and it really spoke to me. He said, the first prayer I want my son to learn to say for me is not, God, keep daddy safe, but God, make daddy brave. And if he has hard things to do, make him strong to do them. Son, life and death don't matter, but right and wrong do. Daddy dead is daddy still, but daddy dishonored before God is something too awful for words. I suppose you would like to put in a bit about safety, and I'm sure mother would like that too. Well, put that in afterwards, for it really doesn't matter nearly as much as doing what is right. Will you stand tall for eternity? Thank you.